Father, we do thank you. We come to you in the name of Jesus, strong, kind Jesus, that we can turn to him. And how grateful we are for that, God. We thank you and praise you. We gather together, Lord, and it's been good to sing about your love as demonstrated through Jesus. We look at the stained glass window and remember that Jesus does come after. He leaves the 99 to come after the one. Lord God, we're so grateful for that. We thank you and praise you, Lord, and we pray that even this part of the service has been a, a blessing to you. We gather together, Lord, to recognize your name, your magnificence, and your goodness. And now as we open your word, and we look into your word for your truth, Lord, we pray that you'd speak into our hearts and into our lives. Lord, we come from weeks that are so busy that distractions and clutter can draw us away. Would you help us, Lord, to focus, to stay focused on you, Holy Spirit, Move into our lives. Reveal your truth, please, in great power. Speak to us, Lord. Your children are listening. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. I release the kids through grade four, even as we begin to uh, look even more deeply into this idea of what it means to be a disciple. We've been looking at that for the past few weeks here, and so it's been good to be doing that and looking at all different ways that we can understand what is a disciple. And uh, part of the reason for that is because we gather together to know Christ so that we can go and make him known. And uh, so as we come together, we come together as disciples. And so scripture says that if you come to a place where you've trusted Christ as, a, as your savior, that you have become a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. And so what does that mean for us to be disciples who are then going out and helping to make other disciples. And so we're glad to be looking at that, and today we're going to be looking at it in, in the book of Philippians as the words that have been read to us already. And you'll notice that I don't have my TV up here today, I don't have a screen on this side, and, and so it's just like old school here, we're going back, and as long as this screen continues to work, we're gonna be good. There it is, bam, all right, so. I'm so grateful that you're able to be here today, and today we're looking at a disciple has learned to be content. A disciple has learned to be content, and uh, as we think about that, the contentment piece is really kind of interesting, especially in the world we live in, because a lot of the things we hear and people we talk to, it's really hard to find people who are truly living out contentment in their lives. And so I think this is really timely for us. And one of the ways that we can most beautifully reflect Jesus in this world and God to those who need to know him is through being content in any and every circumstance, as Paul has said. So we're looking today, and the big idea is that there's a secret to being content. So if you're in your life and you've really been having a hard time finding contentment, maybe it's because you haven't known the secret. So we'll see if we can unpack that secret today and take a look at that and find out that there is a way for us to be content. And Paul says that by, by these verses in Philippians 4. 
He says, I've learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in, in plenty or in want. And of course, the next verse says, um, I can do all things or all this through him who gives me strength. So we're going to unpack this. We're going to jump right in because we've got a lot to cover today uh, because the secret's really big. And so here we go. There's a secret to being content. And the first thing we want to see is that contentment is not complacency. As we look at contentment in this verse and what it is that Paul is trying to help this church understand, he wants them to realize that this isn't complacency. Now, one of the things we need to realize is that this church that Paul is writing to is a very special church to him. And it's a special church, and they're very close to him, and they've partnered together in the ministry in all sorts of ways. They've been partners right from the first day that he ended up in, in Philippi. And Acts 16 gives us a glimpse into how this church in Philippi was formed and why it is so special to Paul. And you may remember in Acts chapter 16 that Paul was looking to go into Greece and, and God came and stopped him from going to Greece. And, and, in, and that night he had a dream. And in that dream he saw a man in Macedonia calling him to come. And so he got up the next morning and went into Macedonia which is where Philippi is. As a matter of fact, Philippi was a major city in the region of Macedonia where Paul ended up. And so as he went and into Philippi, it was because God had specifically sent him there. It was that powerful. And so as he went, he, he got there and he began to look for the place where believers might be praying and he went to the river outside the city and there he found some people who were praying. And he began to talk with them and share the gospel and ended up staying with them and, and continuing to teach the word to them. As he was teaching the word, there was a, a slave girl who used to have this evil spirit in her. And she would declare things over him as he was walking along with Silas. And finally he had had it and he turned around and he commanded the evil spirit to leave her. And as the evil spirit left her, she was no longer able to prophesy. And so the people who owned her lost a fair bit of income. They got upset. So they started stirring people up against Paul. And as they were stirred up against Paul, they ended up having him beaten and thrown in prison. So here he is. He's been called to the city of Philippi by God. And he gets there and he gets beaten he and Silas, beaten and thrown in prison. And so naturally, he reacted the way that all of us would if we got beaten and thrown into prison. He began to sing, right? And so he sang, and, and as he was singing, there was an earthquake and the Philippian jailer, and we know the rest of the story, that the gospel prospered mightily in Philippi. So as he writes to this church, and he begins to talk to them about contentment, this is a church who knows Paul. They know him. They've seen him under pressure. They've seen him under stress. They've seen him when things are not going the way they're supposed to go. And they've seen how he's reacted. And so as he comes to them and says, I have learned the secret of being content, they're saying, yeah, 
we realize that you have. And so as he does that, it's really clear that the contentment that Paul is speaking of is, is not complacency. Now, if you do a thesaurus search for synonyms for contentment, it's true that complacency will come up, satisfaction will come up, but the contentment that Paul's talking about here is different than complacency. Contentment says, I understand. Complacency says, I don't care. So the situation I'm in, I'm just going to not care. But contentment leans in and says, I understand. There's a calmness to it, not a bitterness that complacency can sometimes take on. Also, as we look at it, there's this resigned satisfaction that comes in biblical contentment. Whereas when we look at complacency, there's this smug satisfaction. It's almost like, I don't care, whatever happens, happens type thing. And so what we're looking at here is Paul's talking to this church in Philippi. He's saying to them, and speaking through to us as well, there's a true contentment, an understanding, a calmness that can happen whatever situation you find yourself. So contentment is not complacency. Contentment rests in God. Contentment rests in God. If we look at at Philippians 4.13, which is this verse that lots of people have on their Facebook posts or on their magnet, or, you know, it's this soundbite aspect of Scripture that we can get wrapped into if we're not careful. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And yes, that's true. But what's beautiful about today is we're looking at it in context. And as we look at it in context, we find out that contentment rests in God. In other words, my contentment is held by the fact that God is the one who gives me the strength to be content. I can be content because of the strength of God in my life. And in order to truly grab that and to understand what that means, I need to know God. Now, Paul, in, in, in chapter 3 of, of Philippians, talks about this, and I, I pray you brought your copy of God's Word. If not, you know, pull it up on your phone. There's one in the chairs in front of you. I don't have a lot of verses on the screen, but we're going to spend a lot of time working through the book of Philippians. So I'd love for you to be able to follow along if you can. But in, in, in chapter 3, Paul says... I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. See, that's chapter 3, verse 8. So Paul rests in God, not knowing about God. You see, there's a much, there's a, a significant difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Lots of people know about God. And if a person isn't a believer and if a person doesn't have any knowledge of Scripture, the God they know about is the God that they've designed. But the truth is, for a lot of those who sit in church a lot of times, if we're not careful, we can begin to design God in our image as well. And then we know about God. Or we've designed God that we know about. But what Paul's talking about here is not knowing about God. He's talking about knowing God. And there's a difference. And, and he helps us understand that by, by looking at several things here. And fortunately, all of them begin with P. 
And, and so you probably already have these all filled in in your page, but let's see how, how they work. The first one is providence. Providence. To know God is to know the providence of God. And, and providence of God is his wisely overseeing and sovereignly controlling all of creation. See, it's, 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 it's rooted in his sovereignty, but it's more than that. It's his, his, his overseeing of all of creation in his wisdom, and then controlling everything that happens. Everything is within the control of God. Everything rests there. In Colossians, just one page over, and, and we look at chapter one in Colossians, and, and it says, uh, as it speaks to Jesus, that he is before all things. In verse 17 of Colossians 1, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. See, in Christ, all things hold together. He is providently ruling over everything. Now, Paul would have understood this in ways that maybe we really can't even begin to grasp. As a Pharisee of Pharisees, chapter three of Philippians talks about that. He, he was this amazing Pharisee, more than likely had the whole Old Testament memorized. And, and so for a Jewish person, a Pharisee especially, to understand and know that God is God, and God is sovereign, and God has, is this providence that he wisely oversees and reigns over everything there is. And so the first step in this contentment, no matter what your situation is, is to understand that God is overseeing and controlling everything in your life. Everything in your life. Not one thing happens that doesn't come through the fingers of God. He either allows or decrees it to happen in your life. And so as, as I'm learning to be content, the first step is to learn that God Almighty, who has created me, who's made me, who's formed me, who knows me, who loves me, and has a purpose plan for my life, has providentially involved in my life. The second thing we see as we're searching, searching to know what it means to learn to be content. The providence of God, the promises of God. To trust and rest in the promises of God. Now it's important to see here as, as Paul writes to them, he says, you know, do not be anxious and he says to think about whatever's lovely and then he says this amazing line whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me put it into practice have you ever thought about that you know as as i stop and consider that can i say that to somebody do you want to know what it means for you to live the christian life that god's designed well Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put that into practice and you'll be just fine. Oy. Oh, my word. Now, Karen believes that's true. Don't shake your head so quickly. Paul was not perfect. You get that, right? So how could he say this? See, what's so amazing is that Paul... Paul lived a life that so rested in the promises of God that his life could be an example. Now, 
everybody messes up. How do you handle it when you mess up? That becomes a way that you can allow people to watch you, to know how to be who Christ is calling you to be. These promises of God, as he holds on to these, in chapter 3, verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained all this, and, and what he's talking about is attaining the resurrection from the dead, and he says, not that I have already obtained all this that have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself to yet have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ Jesus has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus, or for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So there's this amazing truth that Paul knows the promise that there is a prize waiting for him. Jesus has promised a prize. God has promised a prize. And, and Paul is resting in that promise, standing on that promise that, that there is something that he can press toward. He can forget what is behind and press toward that. And that gives him a contentment that those promises of God are to be fulfilled. In chapter 2, verse 10, it says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And so as we look at this, there's a promise that there is one day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. I will do that. And so will every person who has ever lived. These promises of God that these will happen. There's another amazing promise, and it's found there in, in chapter 1. Verse 29, and it says this, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. There's, there's another promise of God. There's a promise of God that not only this gift of salvation, right, this gift of coming to a place where you give your life to Christ and ask for forgiveness and, and you repent and you turn and you give your life to him and there's this promise of what's waiting for you, but there's also this other gift and the gift is to suffer. Not only will you have the gift of salvation, you will have a gift to suffer. It's a promise of God. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed in John chapter 16, verse 33, says, in this world, you will have trouble. See, this world is a sin-filled world. This world has been depraved. It's marked. It's, it's, not, it's not what it was created to be. It's been marred by sin, and as such, every day involves suffering. And so you will suffer. The contentment comes in resting in the promise of God that you will suffer in the providence of God that what you suffer comes through the hand of God so that you can trust that he is in sovereign and control over it. The next thing to, re to realize if we're going to learn contentment is the presence of God. We have the providence, we have the promises, and then we go to the presence of God. And for Paul, this is, this is one of the main things that allows him to be content. Now, you'll remember last week, I led you to memorize a sentence in Scripture. This week, we're going to memorize another sentence because it's so important. And do you remember the sentence we memorized last week? Anybody? Three words. 
and be thankful, right? Remember? And that's held you all week, apparently. So, and be thankful. Now, you did so good with those three words. We're going to memorize a sentence with four words this week. Are you up for it? Okay, because listen. If we are going to learn to be content, whatever the circumstances in our lives, this sentence is hugely important. Because no matter what happens in your life, no matter what situation you're going through, no matter what circumstance is happening, whether it's something that that is bringing incredible joy or incredible sorrow, whether it's something that's bringing great pain or great peace, whatever it is, these four words are the four words to remember. And it's found right there in chapter 4 and verse 5. The Lord is near. The Lord, say it with me. The Lord is near. Listen, whatever the circumstances in your life, and I know how it is, Stuff happens in your life, and you begin to think about it, right? And you begin to twirl around in your mind, and you begin to focus on what it is, and you begin to focus on all the possible solutions, filtering them carefully so that you're able to let God know which one's the right one. And, and as we begin to look at those circumstances, whatever it may be, it could be something very, very good, something very painful, but it begins to become very big in our lives, right? And it becomes very prominent, and there's a presence to it. It becomes present in every thought we have. It becomes present in everything we do, and, and, and so it can take on this presence in our lives that can overwhelm us. And what Paul's saying, listen, if you're going to learn the secret of being content, you need to have the presence of God be what overwhelms you. In chapter 1, verse 21, he says, for me to live is Christ. I live so much in Christ, Christ in me, Paul says, that this is everything that I am. What has become so big for him is the presence of God in his life. And for us, if we're going to be content, if we're going to learn the secret of being content, we need to rest in the presence of God. The Lord is near. Whatever you are experiencing, the Lord is near. The presence of God. The power of God is the next thing that we see. The power of God. In chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection. And so as we look at this power of the resurrection, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, in chapter 3 and verse 21, It talks about the Lord Jesus Christ who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. So there's this power that we find in Jesus and who he is in God. And it's a power that is unlimited. You realize, perhaps, I hope, I pray, that you realize that that moment that you turn that you repent and you turn to God, you ask God to forgive you and you ask... He has to be forgiven. 
when you give your life to him, at that moment in time, we're told that the Holy Spirit of God comes into you. The Holy Spirit of God comes into your life. The power of God, the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. The Lord is near. How near is he? He's in you. That's pretty close, right? So as you look at the thing you're going through to realize that whatever it is that you're going through, the power of God is in you to walk through that with you. No wonder Paul says, all this I can do because Christ is in me. In all things, through Christ who strengthens me. The power of God. The next two we'll look at together. The purposes and the plans. The purposes and the plans of God. And as we look at these in Paul's, in Paul's writing, especially the church in Philippi, we look especially at chapter 2, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I love that. Think about that. As a result, he says, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Paul understood the plans and the purposes of God. He understood them so well that as he got beaten and thrown into prison, he said, I'm here, and God can use me here, right where I am. Remember that, that the Philippians would have known this, because he got called into Philippi to get thrown into jail. Now, it's hard to be content about that. And as you look at your situation, whatever that may be in your life, to realize that God has a purpose and a plan in that. There is a purpose and a plan. And understand that the purpose of God is realized and revealed in, in, the, in the person of Jesus. See, it's, it's living out the gospel gospel is the truth that God has, has made a way for us to be redeemed, for us to be purchased, for us to be bought back from sin. There's this amazing beauty for that. And Jesus came into the world to seek and save those who were lost. He came to let the gospel be known. And his purpose was to make God the Father known and to make it possible for us to be reconciled to the Father. That's his purpose. And so when we realize that that's the purpose of Jesus, and we realize that we're part of that plan, and that plan then plays itself out as we look at that taking place over our lives. In chapter 1 and, and verse um, 22 through 24, Paul says, you know, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to live on in the body, it would mean fruitful labor for me. So what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain. Convinced of this, I know I will remain. <clears throat> Paul was so aware of the plans and purposes of God in his life that he realized death is not the sacrifice. Living is the sacrifice. For him to die is gain. 
For him to die is gain, but to live is a sacrifice so that Christ can be made known. To trust in the purposes and plans of God. In Psalm chapter 33, the amazing psalm that talks about the Trinity's involvement in creation and the power that that is. In verse 10, it says, the Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of peoples. But the plans of the Lord, Psalm 33, 11, the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. His purposes, the purposes of his heart through all generations. May I read that again? The plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. See, to realize and recognize as you're going through whatever it is, the contentment can be there because you understand and know that God has a purpose and a plan in this. A purpose and a plan. I've thought to myself, I've used this illustration before, but I'd love to bring it to you again. I've often thought, what, what will it be like when, when I enter into heaven and, and enter into the place of God? Will, will what I have done and how I've lived, will it make a difference? Will it, will, it, will it make a difference? Will it have meant anything? And I've thought of what, what it would be like, and, and this isn't at all what it's going to be like. It's just in my head I imagine this, right? You get that? Okay. Okay. But imagine that there's this amazing tapestry. And, and I say to God, I say, God, did my life have any, any meaning? And he says, look at this tapestry. And I'm like, whoa, because it's gigantic and it's enormous and it's gorgeous and it's beautiful. And I'm thinking, whoa, I, I did make a difference. And, and God comes up and says, let me show you your stitch. And he says, I want you to know how special your stitch is. Because the tapestry would not be complete without it. And my purposes and my plans included your stitch to be right where it is. And all the colors of the thread and the thickness of the thread and all the things that needed to happen in that thread to be the stitch that I needed it to be were the purposes and plans that I was carrying out in your life. And it's in exactly the place it needs to be. And if you had not experienced all the things that you experienced and if you had not responded for me in those things, if you had not been content, if you, you would not be the stitch. I have worked in your life providentially to have your stitch complete the masterpiece. And you begin to understand that the things that are happening in your life are way bigger than you may have thought or may have understood. And you begin to trust in his provision. You begin to trust in his provision. In chapter 4 and verse 19, it says, My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. My God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Listen, my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Every one of your needs are going to be met by God from the vast resources of his glorious riches. Could you be content 
with that? Now, part of the problem, right, is that we have to wait. I don't wait well, Jacob. Do you? No. No. It was so nice yesterday. I decided I'd go get my car washed. Everybody in Walworth County <laughs> thought that it was so nice yesterday that they'd go get their car washed. You know what that means. You gotta wait. You get to wait. But fortunately, there's a, a new car wash in the area that's a conveyor belt, right? And you don't really have to wait. Most car washes, people pull into it, and then you gotta wait for the whole, you know, what is it, 85 minutes it takes? Like, how come it takes everybody else's car 85 minutes, takes yours three, but I don't know. But, but this car wash, you just pull in and starts pulling you ahead, and then another one comes in, another one comes in, eliminates waiting. It's a beautiful thing. So I got, you know, like two-thirds of the way through it. I could see the end. It was there. It was the, the rinse and the blower. And the car wash stopped. Amen. Amen. So I started waiting. This really has nothing to do with the message. See, we see the finish line. We see what's not yet ours. And we can long for that, but we need to wait for it. And we trust the provision of God is exactly what he knows we need for this moment in time. And the next moment in time, and the next moment in time, and the next moment in time. And he will provide, my God will provide all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And you can be content when you learn to trust in that. Perspective. This one's huge, this perspective piece. And we've talked about it many times, so I won't belabor it, but... But Paul, in, in chapter 1, verse 12, that idea that what's happened is served to advance the gospel. His perspective is that God is working in his plan and putting him in places where the gospel can be known. And so understand that the things that happen to you, your car breaks down. It allows you to get to a place where someone who's there fixing your car is going to need to know about Jesus. You've been positioned there. And, and so everything that happens in your life has providentially happened. It's there for a reason, and as you have God's perspective and you realize that he's working out an eternal plan, your 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 years here are nothing compared for eternity. And so as we look at that eternal perspective and we see that God is working out his plan, as you see that he's working on your stitch so that the tapestry is completed and you realize that, you begin to have a perspective that says, not, it says, what is this time for? When you find yourself in a situation that's uncomfortable or whatever it is, you say, what is this time for, God? Why do you have me here? What is this time for? And how can it be used for you? A perspective. Partnership. I don't think you have a blank for this one. Partnership. And this is all throughout the letter. Partnership. 
Paul says, I thank my God, chapter one, verse three. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. In chapter four, he talks about how they shared again and again in the matter of giving and receiving and that they sent aid to him when he was in Thessalonica. As a matter of fact, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter eight, he talks about how out of their out of their desperate need, they gave abundantly. And so it's this understanding that they are partnering with him in the gospel. And they're not just partnering with him, they're partnering with God. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, which one, which says we are God's fellow workers. So there's this amazing truth that we are partnering with God. And when you realize, again, the providence of God and his promises, his presence, his power, his purposes, his plans, his provision, his perspective, and his partnership, you begin to see what's happening in your life as being orchestrated by him so that he can make himself known, so that you can know him more and you can make him known. A couple to add. Yeah got to go back. There's not a slot for this. Peace. Peace. If we're going to live in the contentment, if we're going to learn to be content, whatever situation, whether living in plenty or in want, we need to know the peace. And that's where Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Whatever is true, whatever, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on those things. So when you find yourself in a circumstance, if you want to know the peace of God, if you want the peace of God to wash over you, if you want to know that, then you begin to think about who is God and who is he in the midst of this and how can I embrace who he is so that in the midst of this, I'm not anxious because I know the God of peace is there. And even in the worst thing that's happening in your life because the Lord is, there's something lovely. There's something excellent. There's something praiseworthy. There's something noble. There's something true because the Lord is near. The power of God is in you. So when you find yourself in that circumstance, you move toward the peace of God. My peace I leave with you. Jesus says he has left it with you. And so in the midst of your storm, in the midst of your chaos, you can be content as you rest on the peace of God. Another one that's not there, prayer. Prayer, the Lord is near. You might as well talk to him, right? Instead of the self-talk, talk to God. My self-talk can spiral me down like that. But the Lord is near, so I talk to him. Next. Oh, wow, look at what happened there. Okay, review. All right, good. Oh, no, I went with you. Uh, technology. Okay. Contentment allows for rejoicing. Oh, for real? 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I'm, I am content with this technology. Bam! There we go. Contentment allows for rejoicing, all right? And so we look at that, and he says, rejoice. Again, I will say it to you, rejoice. And, and so there's this beautiful truth that contentment allows for rejoicing. But I want to speak to you. I want to say a word to you. And that word is lament. That word is lament, okay? Because the truth is that, that sometimes rejoicing doesn't immediately come. Now, there's people in this world who are outwardly rejoicing people, right? You know them. They are just like Mr. and Mrs. Bubbles, right? And they're just like always outwardly expressing this amazing joy. And then they're Scandinavians. <laughs> and, you know? Um, sorry. But, but, you know, we're, we're rejoicing. It's just a secret. We've learned the secret of rejoicing, you know? And, and so as we look at that, we realize that not everybody express, expresses rejoicing in the same way. But the truth is there's times when circumstances come in your life and you know these things about God. You know all the things we've looked at. You know his providence. You know his promises. You know his purposes. You know his presence. You know these things, but it still hurts. And in the midst of that, you cry out in your pain to God Almighty who knows your pain. And, and you let him know you're in pain. As you look at the Psalms, so many of them, as you look at Jeremiah and the book of Lamentations, as you look at Job, as you look at Jesus on the night he was betrayed, and you see this language of lament that is so critical to, to discovering and, and being part of the secret of contentment. It comes to this place where you, you are searching to be able to rest in the promises of God. And as we look at the Lamentations in Scripture, what we find is every Every one of them resolves by focusing on the nature and the character of God. And whatever you're experiencing, it's okay to cry out and say, God, this hurts. I don't like it. Yet not my will, but yours because of who you are. And that I know one day my prince will come. And he will take me to be where he is to the place that he has prepared for me, and I will be free from the presence of sin, free from the presence of pain, free from the presence of sorrow. And as you allow yourself to use that language of lament to seek God, it will allow for rejoicing. How do you go to sleep at night? How do you go to sleep at night? Could I urge you, find ways to go to sleep reflecting on the providence of God, his promises, his presence. Take time to just rehearse those things. So many times as we prepare to go to sleep, we let the, the, the cares of this world and the pains of this world work through our minds as we sleep. The psalmist in 139 says, when I awake, I am still with you. Remember that in Scripture, the, the days begin in the evening, right? And so as you begin your day to go into sleep, considering and thinking about the presences and the promises of God, so that when you awake, he is still with you. So what? Have you learned the secret to being content in any and every situation?
How can learning the secret help you to focus on expectations? Hi, David. Pardon me? He's just given us a way to pray for Dakar. We have three families. Wait, start over. Pastor Chuck has just helped us to be ready to pray for our partners in Dakar. It's been locked down for three days. Three days more of riots are called for by the leader. Every single one of these are a way for us personally and Amen. a way to take it, to pray for cousins, to pray for Samuelsons, to pray for Oliveras, to pray for the church that's going through this right now. So what? Because of this, we can pray. So, David, pray. Lord, some of us here, and we're going to apply this with kids and cancer and pink slips and money, and it's all true. And we're going to go out, we're going to have struggles, and we're going to have places that we're going to have to rehearse this. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, as a congregation, may we take these same steps in belief and pray for the situation with our friends in Dakar, the Christians, national and expat that are in Dakar, and for Cousins family and Samuelson family who have just been there since January and all of us, that you would give them the peace that we just talked about. And may we be able to take their circumstances and their pain to you, both in lament and praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, my friend. David's our pastor of Global Partners, if you didn't know, so I'm grateful. Would you please stand and hear God's good word for you? It's short today. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Oh, God bless you. Whatever you're going through, may you know the presence of God in your life. I release you to a week of work, witness, and worship. God bless.